Welcome to the Brood Life Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Hall. So grab a cup of coffee, plug in your headphones, and let's have a conversation. To a new episode of Brood Life. And uh, today we're going to be talking about white Christian nationalism. And it's something that is talked about a lot more recently, but not something that's necessarily new. And it's just revealing itself a little bit more. And so I'm excited to have a special guest on today who also goes by Brandon as well. And we're just going to have a conversation about what white Christian nationalism is, what it looks like how it's impacting our churches, how it's impacting our country, and what are some ways that we can combat white Christian nationalism? And also, is there really any hope for the future when it comes to our country and our churches and this spread of uh, white Christian nationalism? So I hope that you guys enjoy this conversation and take a listen. As always, if you enjoy what you hear, uh, in this conversation and you feel that somebody else will enjoy it or you uh, want to share it with anybody else out there just share it on social media through email uh, however you want to share that uh, you can find us online on facebook and instagram at the brood life podcast and please don't forget to go out and uh, subscribe rate and review the podcast because that helps out so uh, thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Brandon on white Christian nationalism. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Brood Life, and I'm excited to have uh, another Brandon on the podcast today, uh, and we're going to be having a fantastic conversation about uh, white Christian nationalism. Uh, but before we get into that conversation, uh, Brandon, want to just take a minute or so and introduce yourself and tell us who you are. Absolutely. So my name is Brandon. I have my own podcast called the Starting Nowhere podcast, which sounds like it's relatively similar to yours because uh, great Brandons think alike, um, <laughs> where I talk about controversial topics, interesting topics, funny topics, just like anything. But it really was born out of trying to talk about controversial things because I felt like we don't do that enough. And that's why we get bad at talking about them. So um, outside of that, I'm a military veteran. Uh, I live in Miami now with my girlfriend who's working on her Ph.D., and uh, I like video games. I play a lot of computer video games since the pandemic has happened. I built my first PC last year uh, and I've uh, been gaming ever since. Well, that's not true. I've been gaming my entire life, but I've become a PC gamer for the past six years or so uh, okay. since 2015. Awesome. There's a, I think a lot of us have picked up new hobbies over the last year. So <laughs> yeah, podcasting was one of mine, like uh, the, okay. the gaming thing. I refocused on gaming, but I've been playing sure. games since I was like, I don't know, 15 or whatever. Sure. Uh, but yeah, podcasting was one of my big ones because I wasn't having conversations with people. And then I was like, well, if I'm going to have conversations with people, let's have conversations with people I wouldn't normally talk to, you know, like a yeah. fellow Brandon. Yeah, that's awesome. That That's a great, great idea. Uh, so like I said, we're going to be talking about well, like white Christian nationalism and we'll get into a little bit more of that, like what that means. But kind of as we get into this, just so we kind of get a idea of where both of us are coming from, what is maybe some of your faith background and yeah. how you're connected to that? Absolutely. So for, before I get into the faith background, I think just talking about me personally, uh, I'm mixed. So I'm black and white. So I have a okay. unique, I think, perspective on a lot of those things anyways, because I came into the world going places with my mother and seeing how I was treated when I was with who I saw as my mother as all children do and everything and that kind of shapes part of my experience as well but I was raised Christian uh part I guess Baptist kind of but like really more non-denominational I don't think any of the churches that I really recall going to uh did anything too specific if you will you know they were all sure. kind of just general general Christian and then my mother we went to a bunch of white churches uh for the most part when I was younger and then as we started to age my mother purposely started taking us to black churches um and so but I mean again it's all the relatively the same Christianity it's the same book just different interpretations like anybody else yeah yeah no that's good and so uh what would you consider like the like what the definition of like what white uh, Christian nationalism is like if we hear that term a lot 
and uh, it gets thrown around a lot. And I think it's a it's a good descriptor. But what would you say is the definition of that specific term? Um, I, it, for me, it's a little hard to define, to be honest with you, because I generally speaking would separate those terms out. I would there's white Christians and there's white uh, nationalists and then there's white nationalists who happen to be white Christians. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily uh, term them all together. But in, in the sense of that, I think it's really just people who hold similar views that uh, Christians in this country have held since its inception. Uh, I think it's it's really closer to the fundamentals of what the Christian group that came here and founded this country and had slaves and all these other things, what they more closely uh, believed. And so now I think it's more passive. I do think that a lot of people who participated are far more passive with it. They're not as active with their uh, thoughts of white nationalism and things like that. Now, granted, there definitely are some who do that, but I think more now it's just a belief in the way that things are supposed to be. And mm, so they don't yeah. direct their thoughts directly at uh, the fact that they made it, they look down upon other races or other religions and things like that. They more so just think this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's always been and so on and so forth. So uh, I think I would mostly define it, define it as people who believe in a tradition that was a lie to begin with. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think I think that there's a lot of truth there too because I think that especially when you throw in the nationalism in there that uh, with Christianity, so because you have a Christianity that believes in God, believes in Jesus, mm-hmm. and the uh, morals of Christianity, but when you throw in that nationalism in there, uh, a lot of the things I've heard and 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 read and and my whole oh my own thought process has been like. Uh, almost putting your uh your your patriotism above your faith like uh like almost making that a, an idol and 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 like what you said like the way that things were supposed to be and that can get into like the whole like mm-hmm. uh you know I'm forgetting a lot of terms right now but just that belief that America was a like a divine Mm-hmm. thing that happened by god and like and if and like oh, it's almost like a uh america is, is is the new israel like the new chosen yeah. people yeah yeah and, and so that's one of the things that so before i before we go on too far i meant to do this at the beginning sure. i've been talking to myself about it the past couple of days but i <laughs> forgot to do it it's like i just want to make sure that all my comments are whenever i am talking about this topic today it's directed at not specific not the specifics of christianity so much as the way that we as humans here in America have interacted with Christianity. Yeah, I, I hold no ill will towards anybody who believes in any particular religion that doesn't try to directly kill me or people that I love, right? And yeah. I don't take Christianity as one of those religions. Uh, but in the same sense, we have to understand that people interact with Christianity in a very strange way that the Bible doesn't tell you to do this. The Bible just says a lot of things that you just conveniently ignore or you key in on uh, uh, to kind of pick up on. And one of the things that the Bible definitely doesn't tell us uh, that Jesus was white. It describes mm-hmm. him in no unclear terms that he is definitely not a Caucasian man. He could have been a fairer skinned man. You could make the case that he was fairer skinned or something like that, but he's Middle Eastern. Like, yeah, there's no question about that. I don't know why these, it, as they like to say, I don't think it looks like Ted Nugent, but they like to say that the Ted Nugent Jesus pictures that are all around and stuff like that. But uh, uh, I think that's disrespectful to those pictures because Ted Nugent does not look that attractive. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, but I agree with you. I think that that's, that's part of what you're talking about, that you want to believe, and you've seen this all throughout history. It was a uh, I forget which king it was in, in England that did the same thing when he was starting to bring Catholicism and uh, Christianity and everything to that country, uh, believe that that land was ordained. The Israelites believe that their land is ordained. Uh, Palestinians believe their land. Like everyone does this. We, we talk about how our land and our way of life is ordained by God and it's the right way to do things instead of going, hey, all these people have the same belief. So we can't all be right. And if you're deciding the, that you're right by who has the bigger stick, essentially, then it, it doesn't really mean you're ordained by God if you're out there fighting for it. If God gave it to you, you don't have to necessarily defend it the way you are. He would, again, you're ordained. You can't take it away from him. So you're not really backing up your belief with your actions. Right. And I think that's part of what you see there. And then so then it becomes, like you said, patriotism over uh religion and it's kind of like that cognitive dissonance thing where you know you have two opposing beliefs and one of them has to give and so they just morph them then they start yes. to morph the, what christianity is they start to morph what it all means you know christianity and the statue of liberty both talk about taking care of poor people they talk about you know taking care of the less uh fortunate and they talk about taking care of prostitutes and all these other things and 
that's not what we believe in Christianity or patriotism uh, either, uh, really, these days. And so you see people really start to mold those beliefs conveniently to how they're already choosing to live and how they believe life is supposed to go, not what the, your, your God is telling you. Yeah, and I think that specifically here in the United States, only because that's, that's where I live, but I, I think that I also see we have, as American Christians, or I should say uh, white American Christians, we've taken that almost to another level where we feel that we are, as Christians living in the United States, we feel like we have these uh just these rights that we're supposed to have and that if we don't have these specific rights, then we're being persecuted as, as Christians. And uh, which, you know, a lot of white Christians, most, I should say most white Christians in the United States don't have an idea what persecution looks like, but, um, but like just in within that patriotism, within that nationalism, it's, you know, and it, and it's not even, it's not even like big things. It's like, well, you know, you didn't say Merry Christmas and, uh, you know, we're taking prayer out of schools or we're, you know, like the, these little things that, that they kind of like push up as these big items that they're being persecuted and it causes other people to rally around these and to want to create a quote unquote Christian nation. And, and that's the problem. America has always been a Christian nation, but it was never supposed to be a Christian nation. And that's yes. why this, this whole tongue in cheek relationship that the forefathers had, you know, while they're writing into the constitution, uh, freedom of religion, freedom of all these things or whatever, they're also writing in on their dollar bills, uh, uh, under God and into the Pledge of Allegiance, like all these other things, and, and you know, so help us God and all these different things. So how can you say that? You're, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You're saying you want a, a, a country that's free to pursue whatever religion you want, but then you're also making it obviously a Christian, uh, excuse me, Christian nation. And the, the thing that's funny to me is that one of the things, the big hot topics has come about uh, in the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that, is Islam and the fear of Sharia law. I'm like, well, you're enacting Christian Sharia law. Like, how are you not by saying that we have to have God in everything that we're doing and that we should be praying in school? And that's Christian Sharia law. So how are you so uptight about Islam, uh, Islam's version of Sharia law when you're enacting your own? You're voting um, based upon your religion. Your, your, your congressmen and women are doing things based upon their religion. They say, I can't do this because of my religion. And the First Amendment is supposed to have freedom of religion. You're also supposed to have church and says, give me separation of church and state and all these things. And so you see all the way that the logic fails as soon as you apply it to anything you're doing. But it goes back to, again, that whole concept of faith and what it's supposed to be, not necessarily what makes sense, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And so thinking of that and like how the Christ Christianity in America has, has, and it maybe it's like the loud minority, but, uh, the, but Christianity in America, how it's become, how a lot of people view it, what kind of impact do you think that it's going to have on current evangelical church right now? Like, how do you believe, and I probably know the answer to this, but how, do, how do you think that people are viewing American evangelicals based on the rise of this white Christian nationalism that's taking place? Well, I think we have to keep in mind that much like politicians, uh, preachers and priests have a symbiotic relationship with uh, their constituents. Well, yeah. again, and I say constituents purposely because I believe that both churches and politicians have constituents. They have people that they're supposed to serve, they're supposed to represent the, the, uh, the ideals of and then give guidance to, right? Right. And so the, because it's a symbiotic relationship, they can't do anything that the flock won't allow them to. They can't mm. push too hard in one direction because if, if say for example that tomorrow uh, the Westboro uh, what's it Westboro Baptist Church whatever the, right. like that hate group church yep. um, who I've actually met, seen some of them in person which is interesting I didn't know that at the time but it's but nonetheless it's just funny uh, if they came in tomorrow like the leader of that church whoever that is I don't know I don't keep up with them but whoever that is and they came in tomorrow and then just started just saying hey we're pro homosexuality now we're pro abortion now we're pro all these things the church would revolt. They're not going to support that. So what you see is that the leader only has as much power as they're given by their constituents. So I yes. think what you're going to see happen is the constituents are going to kind of direct where these evangelicals uh, leaders go. And they're going to kind of tell them what it is. And so you're either going to see some of them get pushed out, which I don't believe is going to happen, or you're going to see them start to slowly bring themselves back in. You're going to see something similar uh, 
to what I think the conservative party has kind of gone through recently. And mm. there is a huge crossover, obviously, between evangelical, um, evangelical, I can never say all those syllables in that word, <laughs> evangelical Christians and uh, conservatives. There, uh, a lot of them are in both of those groups, right? Yeah. And so you're seeing the same thing, I think, where they're starting to go deeper within their own beliefs and shut out the outside world. They're creating echo chambers. They're creating this vision of what they believe things should be and taking sources of information vetted or not that support those views and running with them. And so I think they're going to get more sensationalized. I think they're going to get more radicalized. Um, I don't know what that means though, because at the same time, I think a lot of them are, they're, they're fine people. I think anybody in the world can be a fine person and can be convinced to do terrible things. So I don't know that they're going to be convinced to do terrible things. And I don't know that they won't be. I just think that they are going to have to envelop themselves further in their beliefs because they see a world that is telling, not even telling them their beliefs are wrong directly necessarily, but they're seeing a world that makes their beliefs untenable. They Mm. can't continue to believe what they believe and live in this world. And so they either have to complete, uh, start their own combines or whatever out in the wilderness where, you know, they have just like a, their own compounds and they're completely shut off from everybody, or they have to start to fight and believe the world that's being taken from them. Uh, and they have to try to take it back. So I don't know which way they're going to go. I think you're going to see both directions really start to pop up a lot more here. I think you're going to see people fighting a lot more and think you're going to see people separating from society a lot more. And to be honest with you, I don't see anything wrong with the latter. If you truly believe that's what's best for you and your family is to get away from a world that you fulfill as Sodom and Gomorrah or whatever, then, hey, you're not hurting me or mine. By all means, go with right. God. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. And and that kind of leads into like the the this next thing is that I knew you kind of hinted at it is, you know, we have this rise of Christian nationalism, white Christian nationalists, and there's a, like this intertwining with them and conservative parties, specifically the Republican Party right now. But you're seeing uh, both sides influencing the other where you now you're getting you're seeing like these conspiracy theories and QAnon and you see the, the Republican Party, uh, specific members of the Republican Party, I should say, that are saying things and doing things that are uh specifically said and done to like rile up this white nationalist christian nationalist group of people uh mm-hmm. and which you know which is their vote voter base i guess so that's you know what they want to do but uh but you're seeing this like intertwining and uh for me personally uh you know how like watching it take take place within my own you know friend groups my family and like it's it's concerning because uh like you you had mentioned earlier like like they they have these two beliefs and they don't necessarily match up so they meld the two of them together so that they can be comfortable with you know voting in maybe a president who doesn't have the same morals that they want to uphold or um you know, uh, believing conspiracy theories, because if they believe these conspiracy theories and it backs up uh, all these things that they think is happening to them as as Christians, this persecution and all these secret, like it's all about like it's almost like they feel better because they have like some sort of secret knowledge that nobody else has. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the things they always talk about, and I don't remember where I first read this uh, at, or maybe I watched a documentary, I can't remember, but one of the things that always happens in cults and or any kind of group, right? Get You see it in gang behavior, you see it in my own background in the military, you see it in police behavior. Anytime you get in a group that's supposed to be kind of a little bit us against the world, not so much in a literal sense, but basically you have your own internal workings. One of the first things you see is language. You start to mm. see certain uh, slang going on, certain things that only members of the group are going to know. And then that lets you know who's in the group, who's not. And it starts to ingratiate you into that way of believing more and more. QAnon had it with, uh, what was it? Where what, where we one go, where one goes, we, we all go or something like that. I don't something remember. Like that, yeah. it, they had some phrase or whatever. And it took me forever to even figure out what it was because they would abbreviate it. But that's the thing. You start to create these language uh, languages patterns and everything that they can really rely on. And I think you're going to see that more. So that's what I think one of the first signs we would really pay attention to our friends group is when they start using certain language and yes. it can be very specific to whatever they're they're paying attention to is but you see that and i think we just have to really improve our critical thinking uh as humans in in america because 
we're used to a system that is so rigid and so formulaic that we know what it is. We, we were born, we go to good schools, we go to college, we get married, we have kids, we do all these things, you know, the 2.5 kids, the white picket fence, all those things are like supposed to be laid out for you. And when you're living that lifestyle, when that's what you're envisioning, it doesn't leave you a lot of room to think for yourself. You're thinking in a pattern. And so that makes it really easy to start to reinforce these patterns for these people, because now they're seeing that they were raised Christian and they're seeing what they think is being attacked, Christianity being attacked from every angle. Uh, so now they further ingratiate themselves into Christian groups. And those Christian groups are getting radicalized either by somebody who wants to lead, somebody who's trying to use them for their own personal gain, or somebody who just is a true believer in something that goes out there. And then they start to slowly pull away more and more from the foundation of what Christianity is. And this is the thing I always tell, I tell my mother, if I talk to her about Christianity, I tell anybody I talk to about Christianity, right? Go into your book and show me where I'm wrong. And if you can't mm -hmm. find it, then what you have to admit is you're listening to a man or a woman yes. who is telling you that, which is exactly what that book tells you not to do. You're taking yes. some other person's voice over the word of God. Because that's the one thing. Christianity has definitely a excuse me, plenty of principles I do not agree with personally, but I don't believe most of them are harmful. They're not outwardly harmful because even the ones that they have that they say, they tell you about yourself. They say like, instead of, you know, making women wear uh, like dresses and like they can't dress any way they want to. So they say, if you have a problem, pluck your own eye out. Yes. And again, I'm not saying people should do that, but it's very self-involved. They're very saying that you're responsible for your actions, not yes. other people. So if you don't, if you believe abortion is a sin, you don't abort babies. That's how they, that's the whole right. foundation of that faith. You know what I mean? And they even say in there too, by the way, that the human laws will not line up with Christian laws. They, they openly say, admit that hundreds of years ago, whatever, when the book was written, they say, your, our laws are not going to line up with uh, the laws of your nation. And right. yet we're still trying to force them to. And, and yeah. so those are the type of things that I look at. So when you're talking about your friends potentially getting radicalized or you're talking about people, you know, getting pulled further into that, I just hope that we can still reach out across those, uh, those aisles and talk to them about this stuff. But at the end of the day, this may be, and I don't say this lightly or too heavily. I just think it's something that anthropologically speaking, something eventually, eventually is going to take out the human race probably. Right. That's what we figure. This might be the start of it. It might be yeah. the spread of information and the spread of misinformation without the foundation of knowing how to interpret it and think for ourselves. Yeah, no, that's good. And I, and you're right. Like I see that a lot. And I was going to ask, uh, you know, which this kind of answers the question too, is that yeah. uh, like, w like what impact is this having on us as, as a country, as a nation? And like, part of that is people aren't doing their own, like, critical thinking about things and just believing everything at face value, believing what people tell them without taking the time to like, even, even taking the time to think it through. And like, is this something logical or am I following along based out of emotion? And because they're pushing all the right buttons that get me riled up about something. And, you know, we're seeing that impact our, our country, you know, not even just like what happened on January 6th with the insurgents, but like just, you know, it, it, even politically, it's hard for us to work across aisle now. You know, like we have a new president, we have a Senate, a new Senate that's, you know, split 50-50. And we're watching, we're still even now still watching everything split down the middle with party lines because we're not, there's no reaching across the aisle there's no uh critical thinking when it comes to things and and i think that's something that we're going to continue to see happen over time i would agree and i think one of the things i've always said is that i believe that our politicians uh our, our media leaders our church leaders all these people are reflections of who we are as people mm. and i think what you're seeing at least from my perspective what you're seeing right now happen in in politics is what's happening with us as people we're all yeah. sensationalized. We're all so busy. We're all so hard to gain the attention of and everything that they're just, it's pandering is at an all time high. Yeah. It's the most ridiculous thing because the majority of people in Congress, I would say the vast majority, if not every single one of them are what you would consider rich or wealthy. None yes. of them are struggling to get by. And yes. yet we always have to hear them talk about how they're representing the interests of, of the poorer people. And what you start to realize, I think, is that most of what happens in Washington, D.C. has a minimal effect 
on people who make a decent living in this country. And I'm not even talking about the top 1%, let's say the top 10%, or I don't even know what that number is. I'm just throwing it out there because it sounds good. But, but <laughs> you know, people who aren't really struggling, who, who have an opportunity to actually build something on themselves, doesn't mean they do. They may blow it just like anybody else, but it, politics doesn't necessarily affect them in the same way. Because here's the thing. Say I get my girlfriend pregnant and we decide we want to have abortion. You know, anybody who's listening who knows me or her, I'm not saying this has happened. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm not saying these are our personal <laughs> beliefs. I'm illustrating a point. Yes. We have enough money that we could get that taken care of, even if our state didn't have great, like if there's one thing, we just fly to another state. We'd fly overseas. We'd get, we could have the means to take care of that. Same thing if our, our local laws change to a point where life here just becomes miserable, we'll move. We could change it at any given yeah. moment because we have the means to do so. And again, right. I'm not some Bill Gates type dude. It just doesn't take that much money to do it. But for those who don't, that becomes a much more important conversation to have. And that's where you get, I think you, the outcome of what politicians do affects you a lot more. And so that's when the, you see all these people who are talking about the power structure. It, it's just funny to me, again, because I'm seeing more and more Republican uh, leaning people talk about the power structure, talk about the powerful. And I'm like, do you think that doesn't include Republicans? You think that all Republicans are not powerful? It's like, what? I don't understand what you're saying here. Right. You're fighting against your own ideals. It doesn't doesn't make sense. And, and that's part of why I think what you're seeing with a lot of these uh, things that are happening in the Christian churches and stuff too, they're seeing themselves attacked because they're starting to realize they are may not be, and I don't know that they are anymore. The majority, right? That their voice is not not only not the loudest voice in the room anymore, it's not the most important voice in the room. And so yeah. that's why they feel they're being persecuted because they're having their advantages taken away and they're being brought down to average or to level with other people. And that is the first. So for the people who've had advantages to have them taken away does feel like persecution because persecution can be relative. You know, if, sure. we, if we compare me, even as a black man here in America, the persecution I experience is nothing like a kid born in, you know, uh, Aleppo or something like that. It's sure. just not you know, or, or some, a Palestinian potentially or something like that. Like there are always levels to this. So it's always going to be relative. So while it feels good for us who have like the viewpoint of either the country at large, the world at large or whatever it is to look at the white Christian nationalists and say, hey, you're not being persecuted. It doesn't feel that way to them. And their actions are going to be what actually matters in that situation, not how relative their persecution is. Right. And I think that's one of the things we have to get better at. And I know that it doesn't feel good for most people. Most people do not want to reach uh, they don't want to look at, you know, what traditionally is one of the advantage groups of, you know, white Christian people or white Christian men, particularly, and start to take their uh, feelings into consideration. <laughs> a lot of people, especially now, that's one of yeah. the things I hate about where we are politically, and as a society. Why is it so so wrong for me to look at, you know, a guy who maybe did have more uh, advantages me in life and just understand where he's coming from? Yeah, just because it's not as sucky as somebody else's life doesn't mean it doesn't suck for him. He drove a Bentley yesterday. And now he's driving a Toyota. Yeah, he still has a car. But for him, that is a major downshift. And again, yes, it, relative to the entire world, his problems aren't that serious. But we, comparative suffering, I don't believe is a very helpful way to get anything done. If you lose a yeah. finger and I lose an arm, that doesn't help you with your finger. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's good. And I, I think that that is a good perspective to look at it is that even though we, uh, a large majority of us may not may look at it and realize that it's not real persecution to them. It does feel like persecution and their actions and what they do moving forward is going to come out of that feeling of persecution, what feels like persecution to them. Uh, and so you kind of handed at this a little bit talking about, uh, you know, having conversations and stuff, but do you think that, or what do you think that we can do to kind of address or even combat like this, this viewpoint or this worldview of, of white Christian nationalism? And, you know, I've heard some people compare it almost to like a cancer that's kind of growing, uh, and impacting a lot of different things. Uh, and I don't know you know, I mean, everybody has their own comparison, I guess, to, to, mm -hmm. to different things, but what are some things that we could do to address this rising worldview that's kind of impacting different, all different parts of our nation? I think we have to be careful to doing things that are dismissive, like calling it a cancer, first of all. I think, while I understand the comparison, I understand what they're trying to say there. I think that once you start throwing that at groups, it doesn't make mm -hmm. them come to your side. It doesn't sure. make them come to their senses. Sure. It, it just further pushes them into their echo chambers. 
if they can't come out into the world and say something that they believe without getting shouted at, if they can't get without being poked with sticks and everything, you know, uh, figuratively, I imagine, but uh, um, then they're not going to come out anymore. And then yeah. that's how you get the groups that only talk to themselves and then go try to kidnap a governor of Michigan or, yeah. or try to storm the Capitol and stuff like that. They need to be brought back into society as much as possible unless they absolutely can't be, right? And I think we, right. one of the things I've seen is we got way too sensitive of where we draw that line now. Now it's, you know, it used to be, it, uh, if you don't watch like outwardly, excuse me, overtly racist things and you're not out there doing these things, then you're, you're kind of fine and we can work with you. But now it's if you don't support X, Y, Z uh, person or, or, or movement or something like that, then we're going to scream you down. Mm. And I don't think that helps anybody, you know, whether it's yeah. the Black Lives Matter movement or whether it's something else that they're not supporting, you have to have those conversations with those people. Yeah, they suck. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, it sucks to try to, you know, explain to somebody who should understand why these things are happening and why we're trying to have these conversations and how Christianity is your religion and shouldn't dictate what everybody else does. Yeah, it, we, we feel like we shouldn't have to do those, but sometimes you do. And I yeah. think we're ultimately better for the more we try to do that. Because again, if not, then ultimately what we're saying is that we're going to have to fight these people, whether figuratively or literally physically or emotionally, mentally, whatever it is, you're going to have to fight them. They're not just going to give in because you've ridiculed them so mercilessly, because you uh, ratioed them on Twitter or whatever else the case is. You have to have conversations and let them change their own mind, because I believe that nobody changes anybody else's mind. I believe you yeah. say something and then I sit with it and then I change my own mind. That typically is how it happens, or at least how I've seen it happen for most people, because pride gets in the way of you. For most people, if you said something right now that I vehemently disagree with and uh, you made a point that I had never considered, I may not admit it in real time. Sure. It's going to take me some time. I have to sit with him. And I slowly, what happens is I, that thing you said starts drilling down in there and I convince myself. And so if to do that to these groups of people, you have to talk to them, yeah. not from a controversial, excuse me, confrontational place, but just from a place of where you're trying to see them as your fellow countrymen, as fellow human beings and everything and help them get to the other side. Cause what we truly want is not them gone. We want them in integrated into society in a meaningful way, which doesn't mean abandoning their beliefs and their religion. It just means stop pushing it on other people. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good point because I think a lot of uh, like, I think conversations with people are really important. And I think that uh, I think we get so caught up sometimes and uh, you know, like I, like I don't have, I, I post stuff on, on Facebook or whatever that I'm passionate about or that I believe in. But I think that we, sometimes we get caught up that we think we have to change the mind of, you know, Joe Schmo that just happens to comment on something that we post on Facebook. And, but we get so focused on that and changing everybody's mind or somebody's mind that we uh, neglect having like those one-on-one -on -one conversations with people that we actually have relationships with that may have a different point of view. And like you said, we're like, I, I would completely agree. Like I can't change somebody's mind. I can't force somebody to view something a different way uh just by even just even with presenting facts or presenting you know a, di a different point of view but like you said like it's just maybe if we have a conversation and i present a different view and i'm willing to listen to their side maybe i can maybe i'm planting a, a few seeds there that may not grow until a long time down the road but it sits with them and it sits in them and they are able to you know, maybe it just like helps change that lens of they're seeing the worldview a little bit so that they can, so it just sits with them. And like, it, eventually they on their own or go out and like, well, maybe I should read this, or maybe I should look into this a little bit more, or maybe I should have a conversation with somebody else in that situation and listen to their point of view. And like those, those little things eventually snowball and can help somebody change their point of view or change how they view the world or change their mind about something that maybe they were wrong about. Are you familiar with uh, Daryl Davis? And for those who just heard or saw me typing, that's what I was doing. I was confirming his name before I said it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make sure I knew exactly what his name was. When I said uh, it. No, I haven't. So, so Daryl Davis is a, a black man. He's a, uh, and his, his race is pertinent to this story. So I'm not just mentioning it just to mention <laughs> it, but um, he, and he like was a musician back in the day and he has successfully converted, I believe somewhere in the hundreds of Ku Klux Klan members uh, okay. or, or, or white nationalists, neo-Nazis and everything like that through conversations with them, through mm. the same stuff we're talking about here. 
by essentially just going and being friends with them and showing them that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a black man. The person you're supposed to hate, the person you're supposed to like think is trying to kill you. And I'm not. It's like really that simple. And like, so, and I only bring him up just, uh, just to illustrate that I think that's what is more necessary for a lot of the conversations we're having and where we're getting worse and worse at that. We're not able to do that. And it's not very easy to do. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, did it. Malcolm X to an extent uh, in later in his life was able to do it. Uh, Gandhi, like a lot of these people who we hold up and revere, we don't emulate. And I think that's one of the things that becomes necessary is they always talk about being the bigger man. You know, which I always thought was weird to say to be the bigger man anyways, to say being the bigger person or woman. I'm like, I don't understand what sex or gender has to do with this, but that's a tangent for another time. <laughs> <laughs> but like they talk about being the bigger person there. And I'm like, why has that gone away? Why is it so it's indignant? Excuse me. Uh, self-righteousness has gotten so rampant where mm-hmm. I'm right. I hold the moral high ground and now I get to be a jerk to you. Yeah. And, yeah. and it seems like we revel in doing that particularly on social media. I think social media is a terrible yes. platform to communicate. I think social media is a platform for us to spit out our own stuff, but not take anything in a lot of times. And yeah, absolutely. But again, I don't blame social media for that. I the same thing I say about politicians, same thing I say about church leaders. I blame us because it's what we give credence and money to. And that's yeah. what we've supported. So we we're our own feedback loop. But anyways, just, I think we need to be more Daryl Davises. We need more of that to happen where we're sitting down with somebody we disagree with, having conversations with them, humanizing ourselves to them and then humanizing them to us. Because if we see like a child, right? And I hate to compare, I use, hate to use this analogy because I'm not trying to call people who don't believe what I believe children, but it's just the one that I think evokes the most emotion, sure. relatable emotion for people. So if you have a child who believes something wrong, you don't give up on them. You don't just go, ah, well, you, you got to get out of society now. You got to do whatever you, you know, you just try to cut them off. You know, you help them, you help them learn, you do it. You may even do that with an adult that you're training at work or something like that. You just do it with people who don't have the same beliefs as you. But we get so quick to dismiss people now that we were getting away from that. And I, again, I do think, and I, I'm not a sensationalist by any means. I don't think this country has the, the gumption, I guess you could say for civil war. So I don't want to say this, like one of those people, ah, we're headed for a civil war. I don't, (laughs) I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I do believe that if we continue along these types of paths where we just can't talk about these things and work them out at some kind of low level, then yes, ultimately that's how civil wars happen. I'm not saying we will do it, but I'm saying that that's how they come to pass. And so you've already seen some more conflicts start to happen in the past, I don't know, 10 years or whatever it is, because this, no matter what uh, CNN, Fox News, whoever you listen to, because I'm blaming everyone here equally. I'm not trying to be liberal or conservative bias on this. President Trump didn't start this. Right. It, it did. It did not come in with him. Whatever it is that you're viewing the world is wrong in the world, whether you're pro President Trump or, uh, or against him, uh, existed before him. Yes. And so if you don't deal with that fact, if you don't deal with that root of whatever this is growing into, then we're not ever going to get better, whether he comes back or not. You can't pin it on any individual person so much as us as people. We have to deal with us, all yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah, I And I think I've heard, of, you know, going back to President Trump, I've heard it say that, you know, he, like you said, it was there before him. He didn't create it. He didn't do something new. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may have helped, like, expose it uh, more so than it, when it was exposed in the past, which may be good or bad, depending on how you look at it. But but yeah, it's all it's always been there. Um, but in thinking of that, like it's always been there. We have this rise of white uh, Christian nationalism going on. Do you feel that there is like any any hope for the future as we move forward and address this going on right now? Oh, absolutely. I, I think the future is very bright, and I know that. So if, let's say this. To, to the best of my knowledge, and I, I, these numbers go up and down, so I may not be correct today when I'm saying this, but trend analysis says that like something like unarmed police shootings, right, have trended down for a number of years. They may have had some bumps up and down here in the past a few years or whatever, like that, but in general, as a trend analysis, they're going down, but we're way more aware of them now. Right. And so I think that's what we're seeing with a lot of the stuff we're talking about is that because that's what we click on, that's what we read, that's what we keep in our brains and everything like that. We feel like the world is such a worse place than it has been, but I don't believe that it is. Technology has advanced our lives in some very meaningful ways. We are able to fight more diseases. We're able to do all these things. Information is so readily available that it's harder to, I don't know if you heard that thunder, I apologize (laughs) if you did, just gonna storm here a bit. Uh, Anyways, information is so readily available now for such a low cost. It used to be hidden behind private school tuitions and all these things, but now you have the internet and it's proliferated 
everywhere. And so you're seeing these children today who are way smarter than we were at their age, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, and so the, because of that, they have to deal with that. And it's harder to trick them. It doesn't mean it's impossible. They easily can be tricked just like anybody else is like that, but it's harder than it was in, in times before, because now it's not just, you know, Hey, I'm an adult. I'm going to tell you something. They can go, I'm going to fact check that. They yep. Google it 10 seconds later, they got some Harvard article or whatever else it is. And they go, <laughs> no, my dad's just a, an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Right. Like, right. And so it's harder to, to trick them. And I, so I think that's very positive for the future. I also think that you see a lot of these children who are interested in this stuff. Now, mm-hmm. I could not be bothered to think about any of this stuff uh, when I was anything before last year, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, like that, yeah. that recent or whatever, you know, and I'm, I'm joking, of course, it's been more recent, uh, a little bit longer than that, but I certainly wasn't doing it at their age. Uh, what's the kid's name? David, um, the guy from like the Parkland shooting. I forget his oh, name. Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And then you got Greta Thunberg. Like again, whether you agree with them or not, it's really inconsequential because there's opposite versions of them as well. The fact is that these kids are getting involved, that they also right. can look at this information and that ultimately information has a better chance of being the driving force behind a lot of these activities now. And that's why I say before, the only way for a lot of these religious groups to push out certain ideals, not all of them, because religion is always going to exist. I'm not a person who believes that religion should or will go away completely. Um, but I think you can change the way that it's the, uh, the, the person level teaches it, right? Right. The way that we talked about before, like Jesus Christ in the Bible never once mentions homosexuality. Doesn't say anything about it. You know, and the whole religion is named after him. And he doesn't say anything about homosexuality. It says it in the Old Testament a couple of times in some not direct ways, but the Bible's good at not being direct. Uh, so it's going to be harder, I think, to convince them that, hey, homosexuality is bad. And they're like, well, I'm, I'm looking at this book here. I'm reading the thing that you told me is our, you know, our, our, our uh, instructional document. And I'm just not seeing how you got that conclusion. Can you, can you explain that to me? I see where it says, don't trim the edges of your beards. I see where it says, don't wear mixed fabrics and stuff like that, but you're wearing polyester and you were clean shaven. So I'm, I'm confused in how you're picking out these pieces that you're following. And I think right. that they're going to be able to have that critical thinking because what we were worried about was 1984, which is the uh, North Korea version, right? Where we're right. holding information and information is so withheld that we don't know what's true. And we only get fed what the government gives us. What you're seeing is there's so much information that you have to be better at reading what's true and what's not. And those yes. kids are growing up in that world where yes. they're just pounded day in and day out with all this information. And so they have to get good from the very beginning of recognizing what's fake and what's not. Because I grew up in a time before the internet, a little bit, not very long. I'm not that old, but uh, like, and, I, and then I remember the 56K modems, the ones that, you know, still make that sound that people probably wouldn't recognize if I tried to make it with my mouth. Uh, and then now to where we are today. So I'm better at managing it to say somebody, maybe like um, the baby boomer generation is or something like that, whatever. But the kids who are coming up behind me, that's, they know it. 10 ways from Sunday yeah. and they can, I can go, Hey, look at this article from this. Like that's fake. Saw that two days ago. It was actually this. I'm like, Oh, all right, cool, cool. Never mind, You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the future. I think that's what a long winded way to say. I do think the future is bright, but what I also will say is this, every generation's culture changes and we have to understand that that's going to happen again. And hopefully it's for the, what we think is the better, yeah. but it's going to change in ways that we won't recognize. And at some point we may find ourselves to be, uh, the bigots or, or, or the conservative people were like, ah, back in my day, you know, that's yeah. just how time changes people. So, uh, but I am optimistic that the, you know, my nieces and nephews and everything that they'll lead the world in a better direction. Uh, you know, and eventually one generation will be the last generation anyway. So I don't really care how close I am to that. <laughs> right. Right. No, that's good. I think that that is true, you know, and looking at my own kids and, and seeing how quickly they process things and seeing how, you know, like you said, I, I grew up without cell phones, without internet, without, you know, and now, you know, my kids have what they need at their fingertips and, uh, and which, you know, again, has positive and negative, uh, sides to it, but right. I, I appreciate, like, I appreciate and I, and I agree with what you said is that the generation coming up is much better at processing what's true and what's not true because they have so much information available to them and that, that, uh, and I hope that that improves how we, uh, you know, move forward and how uh, the next generation communicates with one another, how we do politics. Like there's a lot of positive implications that go along with that if, if, it, if it heads that direction. 
Well, and like I said, I'm, I'm optimistic that it will. I, I do believe that the world's getting closer every day to one of those stupid multicultural uh, after school specials, you know, where like <laughs> there was just like, again, and I, I believe that in certain cities you see this, but there was like always different religions and races yeah. in that, that you could tell were just like put there for the purpose of that, that special. But we are getting closer to living in those neighborhoods and yes. living in that world where that's what we see, where we're just like, oh, you're different than me, but you're still a person. Yes. You still, we still have foundationally uh, similar beliefs that we can live together on. And we just, you know, uh, separate on certain things. And that's fine. That's the way it's always been. But we got so good at not discussing that. And that's yeah. what it really was. If you go back to like, I don't know, the pilgrims or wherever, whatever time period you want to go back to, it doesn't really matter because it existed all the time. You see what it was is that we wanted people who look like us, who say outwardly that they believe the same as us, but there was disagreements. Yeah. It may have just been at a way lower level because, you know, oh, you have to rear your ox this way instead of this way. But there were still fights. There's still disagreements. We're never going to get away from that foundationally. We're always going to be those people. The disagreements, I think, just get more complex. And we have to get better at managing those because we spent so much of our history purposely avoiding them. Don't talk about them. That was the way we dealt with them. Let's not talk about them. No, talk about them all the time. It's yes. basically all you should talk about because then it's not a problem. Yeah. I don't get, if you told me you like pineapple on pizza, I'm not coming to your house to try to murder you because <laughs> I don't care. And that's the same way it should be relative to your religion, to, to uh, even your financial policy in your own household and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Now, if you like Apple compared to, you know, me liking Android, then we might have some problems, but like other than that, you know what I mean? Like, it, oh man, we just got to get better at these things. That's all. You know. uh, I shouldn't tell you I'm recording this on a MacBook. I... <laughs> no, I, I, I'm look, I've been podcasting long enough now to know that most people do. So yeah, it's, it's okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, so uh, now that we've discussed this, I want you to, to give me an opportunity. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your podcast and kind of like what, what your goals are, like what your podcast is about and then how people can find you. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you again for having me on here and uh, letting me talk as much as I did. I, that's the first thing you'll notice if you come to my podcast. I talk a lot less because <laughs> I'm not the guest, you know what I mean? So, so, Absolutely. Um, but yeah, my, my podcast, man, it, it came from a very personal place and where last year when the George Floyd situation happened and because of social media, you know, people were posting all these thoughts and they went back to the day where I had forgotten what the world was. And a lot of these people were saying things about black people again and like all these things that I thought we had kind of gotten past. And then not only the people are saying them, these are people I know, you know what I mean? That's right. Um, and so, and so I realized I was getting really sensitive to things that I'd always knew were true because I wasn't having these conversations as often as I used to, because I wasn't out in the world because I started working from home before the pandemic happened. Uh, as I said before, I live here in Miami now, but I, when I was military, the last place I was stationed is Tampa. I stayed there after I got out and worked a job there and everything like that. But then my girlfriend had to come to Miami for school so I switched to remote. And so by the time the George Floyd situation happened and the pandemic is happening, I've been working from home now for, I don't know, eight months or something like that at that point. So I wasn't having those same human to human interactions with people as often as I used to. And I certainly wasn't having it in a way where I could have those deep conversations. So then I started yeah. the podcast doing those, having those conversations. Let's talk about your belief on masking or not masking. Let's talk about these things. One of the episodes I'm the most proud of, and it's come up recently, and I, I really invite people to check it out. Uh, I had a conversation with a police officer the day after the Capitol riots happened. Mm. Um, and it wasn't, we weren't even supposed to talk about the Capitol riots, really. It's just, obviously, I scheduled the, the call, and then those happened, and we're, we're not going to sure. not talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So I got a police officer's perspective on that, and he turned out to be right about a lot of the stuff that he said, you know, because uh, I was a lay person, don't know that stuff, and I'm saying these things, and oh, I believe this, and he's like, oh, I don't think that's true. And then you know, information comes out, he's right. But then I also challenged him on, you know, uh, you know, Tamir Rice, you know, and some of these other cases and stuff like that have happened. So, so I thought it was a really good episode, a lot of back and forth and a lot of good stuff in there. But um, you can find me on YouTube, you can find me on Spotify, iTunes, pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcast. If you like audio, it's on all the audio platforms. If you like video, uh, you want to see my stupid face a little bit. <laughs> it's on YouTube. Uh, and the name of the podcast again is starting nowhere. And the name from that came from just having conversations that start from nowhere that really don't have any kind of uh, purpose behind them, I guess you could say. They're just really to explore things and to get into some places where I'm going to be wrong in public. And I was on that episode. That was one of the things I was the happiest about in that episode with the, the police officer is because I, I was saying stuff about the cattle rights that I thought was true. And I thought I knew this and all this stuff. Whatever. And I was wrong. I was super wrong. He, he confronted me on that. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And then also as time went on and by the time I aired the episode, people realized I was super wrong. So 
if you if you like my voice or you hate my voice or you wanted to learn some more random facts that I seem to know that other people don't, they're not useful, first of all, <laughs> but uh, just come check me out, please. I'd really appreciate it. And uh, keep listening to Brandon here as well. Obviously, he has a lot of the same type of conversations that I do. And I think that's really how the world gets better. Awesome. I appreciate that. And I uh, think that it's important that we have conversations and we have podcasts like yours as well. So and. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, one last question that I ask everybody that comes on because this is called the brood life. Uh, when you go out to a coffee house, if you can't go out to coffee house or whatever, what is your drink of choice? So can I, can I manipulate your question a bit just yes. because I'm nerdy and I want to do this? Yes. I just bought like three days. No, not even three days ago. They got, both got here yesterday and the day before um, a gooseneck kettle and a, v, uh, a V60 to start doing pour over coffee here at home. I had been doing French press and some mocha pot uh, style coffee making here at home and everything like that. Um, but if I'm going out to a coffee house, um, there's one right around the corner for me that's amazing. And they do a really good pour over and it's just a just regular medium roast, I think, uh, pour over coffee. So I usually drink my coffee black every once in a while. If I want to do a little something, I'll get like a flat white or a latte, uh, usually yeah. with no flavor. Um, but if I had a bad day the day before and didn't get a lot of sleep, I can get, what did I used to get from Starbucks when I did it? Uh, like five or six shots and <laughs> <laughs> like a medium. So I, I can get pretty uh, heavy with the shots when I do the latte style. So I'd say black coffee, black coffee is my go-to. And I, I've been getting a lot of these African beans lately from a company called Boon Buna uh, that are really cool. And the, I also have these specialty beans from a place in Tampa where they I don't know if they roast them or they're Asian. I'm not sure the process, but in uh, whiskey and bourbon barrels. And so oh, they yes. have like the whiskey and bourbon. And so I yep. use those in the mocha pot with a little bit of almond milk. Oh, delicious. That's awesome. I'll have to remember that. I'm I'm a coffee nerd too. So I have a gooseneck kettle. I usually use an AeroPress. Oh, uh, so I will have to talk offline because I, yeah. I almost got AeroPress. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I totally understand. I get my beans from a local roaster, roast them fresh, and then uh, I grind them as I use them. So I'm a. I'm a coffee nerd and, and I am totally believe in 110% that if you get the right beans and you roast them the right way, you don't have to add anything to your coffee. Yeah. And going back to my military time and I, I the worst coffee I've ever had and I hopefully will ever have was, uh, you know, you know what an MRE is, right? Yeah. Yeah. The MRE has instant coffee that you pour. We poured water out of the canteen and we got to mix it, but it was the first caffeine I'd had in like at that point, oh, five gosh. or six weeks. All that was bad. That was, yeah. and you're drinking it out of an aluminum pouch too. So it's not like <laughs> even a cup. Oh, that was terrible. Good awesome. Time, so. Well, thanks for uh, coming on and just being open and honest and having a conversation about this. I appreciate it. And I uh, hope that people listen to it and uh, either get a lot out of it or it spurs them on to have conversations of their own. Absolutely. Uh, I thank you again for letting me come out here and talk about this. These are the conversations that I'm so excited to do and I've been looking forward to it all week. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.